0: Welcome to All Things Green. I'm Shelby, here with my co-host, Anton, to discuss a variety of topics from across the sustainability universe. Anton, how are
1: you? I'm good. How are you today, Shelby?
0: I'm good. We normally reserve this time at the top to catch up, but I have some important news I need to share, if that's okay. Do tell. I wanted to share that there is uh, a case that is being presented in front of the montana supreme court or sorry it's being presented in front of the u.s supreme court but it's out of montana Um, we talked about it sort of off air a while ago that we were so excited uh let me give a little context about what this what this case is of why we were excited about it so It's this youth-led climate case. It's been years since they brought the case uh, or tried to bring the case. 16 young people brought the case of Held versus Montana. Held was the only person in that group that was 18 Mm. uh, when they started working on this. uh, Because they say that Montana, as a state, violated their right to a clean and healthy environment. So they are suing, saying that by promoting the oil and gas industry, Montana was putting that industry's rights over the rights of the people. So they've been waiting for their day in court since March of 2020. Okay. What a crazy time for them to bring this. The world got a little wild. Um, And at the time when they brought the case originally, the plaintiffs ranged from the ages of two years old to 18 years old. Hmm. So it is finally going in front of the Supreme Court, and I'm really excited to see what happens. Um, I know that that's a tiny update for something that has so much more going on but I just wanted to bring it up here so that we can remind ourselves to follow up on it later.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Young people have a right to a, a future, so that's going to be fun to see.
0: Yeah. Um, well, today, that was sort of a domestic story, but we're focusing globally.
1: Yeah.
0: We'll talk a little bit about the U.S. We're part of the globe. Um, so I wanted to start with what feels like the most obvious place, the most visible impact of a cl- changing climate that we are seeing, which was these enormous forest fires that just happened in Canada. Sound good slash bad?
1: Sounds good slash bad. <laughs> Great.
0: Great. <laughs> Um, So first I wanted to ask you, we live in Northeast Ohio. Did you notice any haziness in your neighborhood uh, as these fires were raging?
1: It was like a little bit hazy, even at like one of the Guardians games. It just felt like the lights, like the really bright lights, you could definitely tell with the haziness. Yes. Also just like the biking around when the air quality and stuff, it was not good.
0: Yeah. I was wondering if you noticed it as a bike commuter. Yes, definitely. Did you make any changes to try to adapt for that?
1: Not really.
0: <laughs> You're young. You're 23. I'm, yeah,
1: yeah. I'm, it was. It was definitely like harder to like pedal and
0: mm-hmm. like just
1: breathe and stuff. I felt like the mask uh, wasn't really necessary for me to mm-hmm. make my commute.
0: Yeah, and we're also not in the area that was most impacted. Yeah. Um, Northeast Ohio definitely saw some issues, yeah. um, but we weren't in New York City where the sky went orange. Right. Um. So. I wanted to give a little bit of context for anyone who hasn't heard (laughs) and then talk a little bit more about the impact. So these were wildfires that were ranging across 11 provinces and territories across Canada. There were 430 or more individual fires burning at once. Um, 140 of those were in Quebec And that sits right above us in this northeast part of the U.S. So prevailing winds blew it down over the northeast of the U.S. So that's why we had some haziness, because smoke and ash was being blown all the way across those Great Lakes into our fair city. Um, But it was a lot worse uh, the further northeast that you went. Um, We already mentioned New York City. There are so many people living there that they made a whole lot of content over those orange skies. I saw. Yeah. And so... This is tough on people. Um, For you, you know, you mentioned that you noticed a change in your ability to cycle at the rate that you might be able to normally. Yeah. But you're also young and healthy and don't have any other uh, chronic conditions that would make it especially unhealthy for you, Mm -hmm. even if it's not ideal. But someone who does have a chronic condition, or pregnant people, or older adults, that was tough. Um, And some people did make changes. So running air purifiers inside or, as you mentioned, even masking. So sort of the return of all the masks that you'd thrown aside after we all got vaccinated for COVID, (laughs) um, pulling out those KN95 masks, because that's the only thing that would actually reasonably protect you from the small size of the particulate matter. Yeah, yeah. You talk a lot about particulate matter. If you want to remind us what we mean yeah, when we say that, yeah,
1: particulate matter, like especially when something burns, mm-hmm. like some of that soot or like really small piece of ash um, that you get when a combustion happens.
0: Yes, and that can make us sick. Yeah. Um, it can exacerbate pre-existing issues like an asthma or a COPD, uh, or it can make you sick for someone who doesn't already have a condition right. like that. So this was a really visible sign of climate issues that we can see. Um, I think for some people, it probably made it feel real. We've talked before about how Northeast Ohio is this climate haven, right? We already Mm -hmm. have mild summers, cold winters, a great lake to provide a lot of fresh water. right? But we started to see it. Um, We've talked before about how climate change isn't actually being spread across the globe equitably. But what do you think about the fact that maybe more people could see it uh, over the past month or two?
1: Yeah, being able to experience like that phenomenon, I guess, mm-hmm. firsthand, it was kind of scary. And I'm glad that we're able to talk about it and kind of frame it in the context of climate change. Because I think sometimes people just feel like these things are not connected. And it's all kind of interconnected. You know, these wildfires are happening more often because we have more climate change, these dry spells, things like that, so. Yes,
0: absolutely. I wanted to um, ask the question out loud, is this climate change's fault? And then (laughs) quote the resource that I'm uh, pulling here, (laughs) where they just said, it's not that simple. Mm So, you know, you just reference the fact that climate change absolutely increases the incidence of wildfires. But of course, climate change is really looking at the science of trends over time. Yeah, trends over years, decades, generations. And so it's not the cause explicitly of any one event. Yeah. Um, and when we look at wildfires, there's this thing called attribution science, mm. where scientists can go and see, how wildfires began and attribute that to whatever those causes were so to say it's not that simple isn't to say oh this had nothing to do with climate change Mm -hmm. we've always had wildfires so you know this isn't really you know an impact of that it is because we know that generally drought and heat make wildfires worse yeah they spread further but i did just want to clarify that we're not saying that climate change alone causes wildfires. Wildfires have existed. Sometimes they're even good for managing forests. But this was an instance where those attribution studies are likely to show that even if climate change alone didn't cause it, it exacerbated the issue. And that's how it spread across so much of Canada. And then that impact came down into the northeast of the U.S. And there are projections from scientists showing that that smoke and ash will make its way all the way down to Florida, which is... Pretty insane.
1: That is pretty insane. Um, I wonder, probably nothing like super hazy down in Florida, but still those chemicals and that particular matter, like you're saying. Yes, right? definitely. Yeah, that's really interesting.
0: Interesting, kind of sad, um, but just another way for us to sort of visualize and experience in real life some of these impacts of, of our cl- changing climate.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm, I'm all set on the Canadian wildfires. Uh, luckily, they're starting to die down a little bit. So let's move on to your next segment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my next segment is going to be piggybacking off of your segment a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about burning forests. Now I'd like to talk a little bit about preserving forests.
0: Oh, we're very pro-preserving forests yes. here. Pro-tree. Pro-tree.
1: <laughs> so Politico came out with an article in the wake of all of this Canadian wildfire talk. Um, that old growth forests are really important to stick to keep around uh, as climate change gets further along um, one of the reasons is uh, they actually prevent wildfires from happening Ooh! Yeah.
0: how would they prevent how does an old growth old growth who <laughs> say that five times fast yeah. how does an old growth forest prevent a wildfire
1: yeah so these old growth forests they've had a lot of time to grow with one another Mm. these trees are like hundreds of years old sometimes and they have like roots going all over the place Mm. and so when they retain all that water from like heavy rains they can actually like dissipate some of that moisture to other parts of the ecosystem so it's less droughted yeah it's sharing
0: oh that's so cute (laughs) reminds me of a book i read but we can talk about that later
1: yeah we should Mm -hmm. and we should Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Another part, another point about old growth forest is they're actually really good at uh, sequestering carbon. And we've talked a little bit about carbon sequestration on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it's like a man-made process where uh, we're taking carbon out of the air. Sometimes it's like a sea of algae or uh, seaweed Mm -hmm. that we plant intentionally to try and take carbon out of the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Another way that we do it is we plant trees. And planting trees is great. Um,
0: Thanks for clarifying that. As we said, (laughs) we're (laughs) pro-tree.
1: But one of the points uh, about planting new trees is that they just don't sequester as much carbon as old growth forests.
0: Mm. And so
1: when we go forward with uh, developing new fracking and coal plants and stuff like that, we can't just think of it as offsetting our carbon emissions with these forests. They take decades to mature, right? So
0: I'm glad you said that, as that was the first thing that popped into my mind was this idea of carbon offsetting, where you'll happily purchase a product because it says something uh, we offset by planting trees, which uh, you know isn't a bad thing, pro tree, um, but doesn't actually make up for the destruction of old-growth forests, it sounds like you're telling me.
1: Yeah, that's 100% right. So what we we really want to see is we want to be protecting current public lands that have old growth. We want to see trees planted, and we want to see those protected so that they can become old-growth forests decades and decades from now. Yes. Uh, It's like that old saying, right? The best time to plant a tree was like... 80 years ago or something like that. But, <laughs> is, that know, is that
0: how the original phrase goes? Yeah, I the think best the, time yeah. to plant a tree was like 80 years ago or something like that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but, but like that's, that's the thing. Like we can't just be um, expecting to offset all of our carbon emissions by planting new forests because they take a long time to mature. And even beyond a uh, carbon sequestration point, mm-hmm. uh, old growth forests are really good at promoting biodiversity oh yeah so like for example you need old growth forests if you want to have bats like they need these really big trees with like the really big sheets of bark and like sometimes you even need those big trees with big sheets of bark to die off so mm. that, like the bats can actually like get underneath the bark and make a little colony and stuff oh i love that yeah.
0: i also love bats so
1: bats are pretty cool yeah yeah um, another, another point is uh, pileated woodpeckers, they need at least like 14 inches, like a 14 inch branch in diameter mm. to build a nest. So like, um, I mean, that's not maybe an f- old growth forest, but like it just goes to show if, if you want biodiversity, these things take time.
0: Totally. This makes me feel like I need to plant some trees uh, so that I can start building up the next old growth forest. But I don't know <laughs> if my my lawn will be big enough for a whole forest. But it couldn't hurt. Every I, tree counts. I have to ask you a really specific question about okay. trees. Um, do you think there are old growth pawpaw trees? Um, how how like how long do pawpaw trees? So
1: have? so yeah they um so pawpaw trees. They usually last like 30 to 40 years Mm. and they don't get like super big around. It's not like an oak tree that you're Mm. thinking about. But there are like forests in Indiana where like it's just like a forest of pawpaws, which I think is the coolest thing.
0: I thought you might. Like
1: a food forest, you know what I mean? Yes. Of just like these like 30 to 40 year old pawpaws.
0: Yeah. I don't want to take us too far off track. I just, I wanted to know. Don't get me
1: talking about pawpaws, you I
0: know. I'm sorry. What a dangerous game. I was going to say earlier, I mentioned that book I was reading and I wanted to say that um, I read this book called like The Hidden Life of Trees. I think you read it too, right? Yes. And it was all about sort of the ways that trees are connected. It was talking a lot more than just about how they sequester carbon. Like this guy yeah. was definitely a scientist, an arborist, who was interested in trees for the sake of trees, almost like this sort of right of nature stuff we've talked about in the past. That's right. But absolutely, they've got these like interconnections. And that also helps them communicate with each other is yeah. what I think we learned. So yeah. they can be aware of when there there is a change in the ecosystem and sort of support each other. Yeah. It's amazing. I Highly recommend.
1: Anything even like disease, like protecting against disease. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really cool. So yeah, definitely got to plug that in the show notes.
0: Absolutely. Uh,
1: the secret life of trees, or the hidden life of trees? Maybe the
0: hidden the life. hidden life of trees. We'll make sure it's right for everybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the secret life of Zach and Cody.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It sounds a little bit like a Real Housewives like, secret life of trees. <laughs> but um, it was great for anyone who's yeah. interested in learning about both the sort of carbon emission part but also just the interesting interconnectedness of these old growth forests yeah
1: 100 percent. well that's all for my segment shelby i'm gonna hand the baton back over to you
0: okay we're gonna keep it on a tree theme i like trees we're pro tree <laughs> Um, so I wanted to talk about a different set of trees <laughs> in in the Amazon so we we've talked a lot about sort of the you know northeast Ohio style trees, the deciduous trees. We even once went so far as to talk about alpine ecosystems when we were talking about alpine chipmunks. but I don't think we've really talked about the rainforest, which is wild because the rainforest is a huge hotbed of carbon sequestration yeah. sequestration um, that helps support the 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 entire globe
1: yeah exactly
0: so I read this study reported by Science Daily that originally came out of University of Cambridge some smart people talking about some really good news for the rainforest we love to end on a good note
1: let's end on a good note
0: (laughs) so some of the world's largest slaughterhouses committed about 10 years ago to keeping or about 20 years ago really uh, to changing their practices to reduce deforestation in the Amazon That's awesome. That's awesome, yeah. You might be wondering why slaughterhouses um, when we're talking about trees. That's because they rear cattle, uh, Mm -hmm. and that requires a lot of land. Yeah. It requires land both to keep the animals and also to grow their food. A lot of soy crops and things like that. Yeah. And so we're talking a lot about Brazil here, pretty specifically, although it hits into other countries. Um, And the uh, industry of cattle rearing Mm -hmm. is actually accounting for about 70% of deforestation happening in the Amazon. Yeah. So it's a really big deal.
1: That's a big deal. Uh,
0: So like I said, there are these uh, slaughterhouses that decided that they don't want to participate in this level of deforestation. Mm -hmm. They committed to changing their practices back in 2010. And so this study looked at the changes in deforestation between 2010 and 2018. And so it actually found that just these high-level companies changing their practices, uh, Reduce deforestation by about fifteen percent that's great, yeah, it's actually a pretty big number when you think about it in context um but what are those practices? I mean, what would make raising cattle better
1: i would I would love to know
0: absolutely why well, I'm here for you. <laughs> So it's a couple of different things. First of all, they did some better management of the pasture land, which basically just means that they rotated the animals to be able to graze in more than one area. Okay. When we think about any kind of agriculture, it's always good to let things sort of regrow, rebuild nutrients. So they did that with the pasture land. They also planted better grasses and they planted more frequently. So there was more like revolution. And then also they amended the soil to unlock more nutrients. So essentially they were able to use smaller amounts of land more efficiently. Which, I love that. yeah, it's great. Um, and this study looked at the impact of those changing practices from the companies that made the changes but they also made some projections of what it would look like if all companies operated this way. So this study found that in that same period between 2010 to 2018, if all cattle companies operating in that Amazon region had made these changes, it would have saved another 15,000 square miles of forest. And I giggled a little reading the article because it was out of Cambridge, so a UK publication, um, and they said, that's bigger than whales, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't really have a lot of context yeah, for. Yeah, I don't either.
1: I mean... I'm actually part Welsh, believe it or not. Nuh-uh. Yeah. It's bigger
0: like, than Anton, for sure.
1: It's bigger than me, so...
0: <laughs> I don't know how many little half Antons we could fit into 15,000 square miles, um, but it's a lot of land. I mean, it's bigger than Wales. <laughs> and so that's important because, as you mentioned, old-growth forests sequester carbon. So it's important that we're able to keep the rainforest 100%. rich. Uh, it also promotes biodiversity, the same way we talked about all these old growth forests. And deforestation alone is the number two contributor to greenhouse gas emissions globally. Wow. And that's essentially because we're losing the carbon that's been stored um, and losing potential to store more carbon.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think even sometimes they do like slash and burn technique when they yeah. are. So, I mean, you're just like burning burning stuff from the get-go. Like to Yeah, that's wild.
0: Yeah. And that's from the perspective of just carbon emissions. But of course, there's so much more to it when we think about biodiversity of animal and plant life that exist in those forests and shrinking the amount of land that they have to to be able to exist. And so we see the reduction of different species or the numbers within particular species in the Amazon. Uh, I also wanted to point out that we as consumers have choices around where we want to purchase. And so there are some countries or companies that are shying away from buying beef uh, that comes from Brazil because even though some of these slaughterhouses have committed to making these changes and have done a really good job, it's hard to know uh, as a consumer without doing a lot of research whether what you're buying has been produced ethically. So I know that the UK has been having talks about um reducing or maybe even um, banning the purchase of beef from Brazil. Um, They want to save the rainforest, and that's all great. But beef is not the only product that comes from these cattle. They also produce other goods like leather and even uh, collagen,
1: Collagen.
0: which is part of lots of skincare routines and beauty products, and that's bovine-derived, which I didn't know. I'm sure I've used collagen in the past putting creams all over my face and had no idea I was putting cow on my face.
1: I wonder if I've put cow on my face.
0: I mean, you've probably put in steak in your face. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's for sure. Yeah, you're right about that. <laughs>
0: um, so all of this to say that we definitely still want to be aware of how the cattle industry is impacting deforestation and, in the greater scheme of things, climate change. But I think this is a really awesome step. I, I wish that I knew more. I couldn't find much information on what incentivized these companies. I. You don't see a lot of companies making big changes like this just out of the goodness of their hearts. So I don't know if Brazil put in any kind of limitations. I do know that technically most of the deforestation that comes from cattle is illegal. Mm -hmm. So there are laws that are supposed to protect the rainforest and companies just don't follow them. Um, But I would love for us to keep doing a little research and find out how we could incentivize more of these companies to operate with these practices because it's more sustainable. And I'm all for that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And even if I do like shoving steak in my mouth, <laughs> I, I got to say cows are cute. So like, I don't want right. to see them get like, you know, factory farmed.
0: Totally. Absolutely. So. Uh, well, thanks for talking all things green with me today, Anton. Thanks for talking all things trees with me yes. today.
1: Thank you, Shelby.
0: You want to tell everybody how they can keep up to date with us?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. If you'd like to stay connected to us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at One Planet Media. That's O-N-E-1. And if you'd like to rewatch full episodes, check out our YouTube channel, All Things Green Show. You can find all of our sources from today's episode in our show notes.
0: We'll be back at the same time next week to bring you more news. Thank you for being a part of the global sustainability movement.